So, you need somebody to shimmy down your chimney, huh? Well, for starters, I'm definitely gonna need a grappling hook. Also, probably some rope. And maybe some oil for lubrication, in case things get hairy. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it's probably gonna cost you a pretty penny. Seems like a tough job. But then again, what do I know? <laughs> I'm no expert. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Bardic Inquisition. My name is Vince, and I'm your host. Today, we're going to be going through Wizards of the Coast 1D&D Expert Classes. Now, you might have noticed the name Expert Classes. That doesn't mean that you have to be an expert at D&D to play them. That doesn't mean that uh, it's like some kind of prestige class that you have to get to a certain level to play. No, that's just a description for the Bard, the Rogue, and the Ranger. And eventually, the Artificer, although the Artificer is not in the playtest document, seeing as it wasn't in the player's handbook. That being said, the Experts are described as polymaths who have the expertise feature and elements of other classes. And they're not the only ones to be grouped up like this. We also got a group called the Mages, consisting of the Sorcerer, Warlock, and Wizard, who are described as adepts of arcane magic, focusing on utility and destruction. We also got a group called the Priests, which is the Cleric, the Druid, and the Paladin, that are described as stewards of divine or primal magic, focusing on healing, utility, and defense. And then finally, we have the Warriors group. That's the Barbarian, the Fighter, and the Monk, who are described as masters of combat, who can deal and endure many wounds. But that's enough about the class groups, let's go ahead and get into the classes themselves, starting with the Bard. Now, right off the bat, at level 1, we do lose some of our weapon proficiencies, which is honestly okay, because as a bard, we're not really primary martial classes as much as we're spellcasters. So we're stuck with simple weapons, but that's still okay, because the short sword, at the very least, is now a simple weapon. But we also get bardic inspiration at level 1, and that has changed quite a bit. You know how before you used to have Bardic Inspiration dice that you would hand out as a bonus action on your turn, well, that is no longer the case. Because now, Bardic Inspiration is a reaction. And it's a reaction you take when you see somebody fail a die roll. But that's not all, because you can also use that same reaction and that same die to instead heal someone as soon as you see or hear them take damage. 
Now, brief spoiler alert, because we actually did some testing with the new Bard, Rogue, and Ranger classes, and this Bardic Inspiration got used up immediately in the one-shot that we did. Like, Bardic Inspiration has done a complete 180, in that before it used to be an ability that everyone forgot about, and now it seems to be an ability that everyone kind of fights over. Moving on to spell casting, which we still get at level 1, bards are now prepared casters, whereas before they had a list of spells that they had learned over the years of just being a bard, I guess. Well, now they can prepare spells from the arcane spell list, as long as it's in one of the four following categories, divination, illusion, enchantment, or transmutation, or as I call it, the bard diet. But moving on to level 2, we get expertise at second level instead of third, and we get a new ability called Songs of Restoration to replace the old Song of Rest. Now, Songs of Restoration have nothing to do with the short rest like the old Song of Rest did, but it instead gives you a list to certain spells from the divine spell list, mostly healing spells, that you get every two levels, from level 2 until level 10. At third level, you gain your bard subclass, which in this case is College of Lore. At fourth level, you gain a feat. And at fifth level, instead of second level, you gain Jack of All Trades. At 7th level, you gain the old 5th level ability, Font of Inspiration, but this time with the buff. In addition to regaining your Bardic Inspiration die on a short rest, you also now have the ability where if anybody rolls a 1 on your Bardic Inspiration die, the die is not expended. 8th level, as usual, is a feat, and 9th level gives you more expertise. Now, 10th level is a subclass feature, and 11th level is where you finally get your magical secrets. Now, keep in mind, this time you're picking from the big spell lists, and now you can prepare different spells from your magical secrets every day, as the bard is a prepared caster now. 12th level gets you a feat, as usual, and 14th level is the last subclass feature. At 15th level, you get more magical secrets, and at 16th level, you get a feat again. 18th level gives you superior bardic inspiration, the old capstone ability, but this time with a slight buff, giving you two expended uses of your bardic inspiration. 19th level gives you a feat, and at level 20, you get an epic boon. But moving on to the College of Lore subclass, which is the subclass they gave us, we have, at third level, bonus proficiencies in arcana, history, and nature. Now, this is a slight change because before you could just pick any three bonus proficiencies, and here they kind of stick you with those three. But it should be noted that if you already have either of these three, that you can just pick something else to replace the ones you already have. Also at third level, you still get cutting words, but this time you cannot use it to reduce the damage of an enemy's attack. Instead, you can only use it to reduce the ability check or the attack roll of the enemy. Now, at 6th level, you no longer get additional magical secrets. Now, that's kind of a big blow because a lot of people liked the College of Lore just for that. However, replacing it, we have an ability called Cunning Inspiration. What this essentially does is just give your Bardic Inspiration die advantage. 
I don't know if that's quite the same as additional magical secrets, but I think it is pretty cool nonetheless. When we get to 10th level, though, we get improved cutting words, which adds psychic damage equal to the bardic inspiration die that we roll to use our cutting words against an enemy. And finally, at 14th level, we get peerless skill, and there is a change here in that before you used to be able to just roll your bardic inspiration die whenever you would make an ability check, now you can react to you failing an ability check and choose to roll the bardic inspiration die then. And on top of that, if the check still fails, the inspiration die isn't expended. But that's the new bard and the new College of Lore subclass. So far, I like the way the bard is going, specifically the bardic inspiration. It actually feels important and impactful now, and that's really nice because it's the main feature of the bard. It should be important, and it should be impactful. As for the actual spell list changes, you win some and you lose some with the actual spells that you can pick now from the bard class, but being a prepared caster now adds just a little bit of extra utility from being able to change your spells every single day. And those are my final thoughts on the bard. Let's go ahead and take it on over to the ranger class. Now, first things first, and I kind of spoiled this a little bit earlier with the introduction, but rangers get expertise at level 1. But they also get spellcasting at level 1, get access to cantrips, and are prepared casters just like the new bard class. Not only that, but they also get access to the entire primal spell list up to level 5, with the exception of evocation spells. And I just wanted to briefly point out that Call Lightning is considered a conjuration spell. But Vince, why would I want to take a concentration spell like Call Lightning if I already have Hunter's Mark? Well, I'll get to that in a second, because it comes in the form of the new favored enemy ability. So do you remember when you had to pick a couple of creature types that you were really good at killing and you would ask your DM, hey, do you think we're going to run across a lot of, say, goblins in this campaign? And they would be hesitant to tell you because, A, they probably haven't prepared that far, and B, they don't want to give you any spoilers. Yeah, that's completely changed. Now what Favored Enemy does is it says that you always have Hunter's Mark prepared, and it doesn't count against the number of spells you can prepare, and you don't have to concentrate on the spell and it lasts for its full duration. That is, unless you're incapacitated or if you choose to end it as a bonus action. Now, moving on to second level, second level you actually get your fighting style. And your choices for this fighting style are, of course, archery, defense, and two-weapon fighting. However, the dueling option is gone. And I want to pause for a brief note on the fighting styles, because as it stands right now, fighting styles are actually considered feats, and you have to be a warrior class to get them, with the exception of the ranger class, of course. 
Moving on to third level, we get our ranger subclass. In this case, we get the hunter. Fourth level gives us a feat. Fifth level gives us extra attack. Sixth level gives us a subclass feature. And seventh level gives us a new ability called roving. Roving says that your speed increases by 10 feet while you are not wearing heavy armor, and you also have a climb speed and swim speed equal to your speed. I think this is supposed to replace the old lands stride ability because it mentioned your favorite terrain which you no longer have as a ranger and no longer have to keep track of. Moving on, 8th level gives you a feat, 9th level gives you more expertise, and 10th level gives you a subclass feature. When we finally reach 11th level we get a new ability called Tireless, and this does two different things. One, it gives you temporary hit points whenever you finish a short or long rest, equal to 1d8 plus your proficiency modifier. And the second thing that it does is whenever you finish a short rest, you can remove one level of exhaustion if you have any. Twelfth level, as usual, gives you a feat, and thirteenth level gives you a new ability called Nature's Veil. This ability simply lets you expend a spell slot and a bonus action to become invisible until the end of your next turn. Now I'm not sure if this completely makes up for the lack of hide in plain sight and vanish, but it comes in at 13th level, so it doesn't matter too much. At 15th level we get a new version of the Feral Senses ability, which just gives us 30 feet of blind sight. At 16th level we get a feat again, and at 18th level we get the old capstone ability of Foe Slayer, which has been slightly reworked. Now instead of dealing extra damage to one of our favorite enemies, we instead deal extra damage with our Hunter's Mark, changing it from a D6 to a D10. At 19th level we get a feat, and just like with the Bard class, at 20th level we get an epic boon. Now, let's go ahead and talk about that subclass, the Hunter. At 3rd level we get the ability Hunter's Prey, which is basically the same as it was before except it's only the Colossus Slayer ability. At 6th level we get an ability called Hunter's Lore, which sounds a lot like the Monster Slayer ability of Hunter's Sense, because it says that you can call upon the forces of nature to reveal strengths and weaknesses from your prey. While a creature is marked by your Hunter's Mark, you know whether that creature has any immunities, resistances, or vulnerabilities, and if that creature has any, what they are. And technically there's no limit to how many times you can do this, whereas before with the Monster Slayer ability of Hunter's Sense, you only had a certain amount of times per day that you could do that. Now moving on to 10th level, you get the ability Multi-Attack. Now this works a little bit different than it did before. Before you could do a volley of arrows or you could choose to do kind of a whirlwind attack with your two weapons, but now it's just changed to where you have Conjure Barrage. It's always prepared, it doesn't count against the number of spells you can prepare, and you can even downcast it to first or second level detracting a d8 from the damage for each level below third. And then finally at 14th level we get the Superior Hunter's Defense feature, which simply says that when you are hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to half the attack's damage against yourself 
and you can redirect the other half of the damage to one creature other than the attacker that you can see within five feet of yourself. Final thoughts on the Ranger and the Hunter subclass. I think the Ranger is looking great, and the Hunter's not looking so bad either, especially, especially at the early levels. I think being a prepared caster really helps with the utility aspect of the Hunter, and I think the cantrips that they get now were a much needed boost. Because let's face it, firing an arrow at something doesn't always solve the problem. So it's good to have those extra little cantrips. But that's all for the Ranger class, let's go ahead and move on to the new Rogue. One of the first things that jumps out to me looking at the Rogue is a change in their starting weapon proficiencies. Rather than having a specific list of weapons, they have just simply the simple weapons and martial weapons with finesse. Now, the only thing we lose here is the long sword, but as Rogues tend to be dex-based and their sneak attack really relies on that finesse weapon property, I don't see that as much of a loss. It was kind of a confusing option before, and I think I kind of prefer the rogue without having proficiency with longswords. But other than that, at first level you get your normal expertise, sneak attack, and thieves can't. Second level gives you cunning action, and third level gives you your rogue subclass. As usual, you get a feat at fourth level, and fifth level gives you uncanny dodge. But hold on to your hats, because that's where the similarities end. Well, most of the similarities. Because at 6th level, you now get a subclass feature. At 7th level, you get your expertise instead of at 6th level. At 8th level, you get a feat as normal. And 9th level, you finally get evasion instead of at 7th level. 10th level gives you your subclass feature again and 11th level gives you reliable talent. This is pretty normal stuff. At 12th level, you get a feat, also normal stuff. At 13th, you get a new ability called Subtle Strikes, which is basically just pack tactics, giving you advantage when you have an ally within five feet of your target. 14th level is your final subclass feature, and 15th level gives you Slippery Mind. This has changed a little bit Whereas before it used to give you only proficiency in wisdom saving throws, it now adds charisma to that list. After that, we get a feat at 16th level, we get the 18th level old ability elusive at 17th level, and we get the old 20th level of stroke of luck at 18th level, a feat again at 19th level, and at 20th level, just like with the other two classes, we get an epic boon. Moving on to the Thief subclass, we get Fast Hands at 3rd level, which has changed a little bit in that now we can take the Search action as a bonus action, or we can possibly pick a pocket or do the other things that we could do before with the Fast Hands ability in combat. As for the other 3rd level ability, Second Story Work, we still get the Climb Speed line, but now whenever you take the Jump action, you can use your Dexterity instead of your Strength. Neat. 
At 6th level, we get the ability Supreme Sneak, which gives us advantage on our Dexterity Stealth checks, provided that we're not wearing heavy or medium armor. At 10th level, we get a reworked Use Magic Device, which used to be the old 13th level. And what it does now is give you up to 4 attunement slots, lets you possibly use an item that has charges without using any of those charges, and it lets you cast scrolls of first level or lower with no difficulty, and other scrolls of higher level by making an arcana check. And finally, at 14th level, we get the new version of Thief's Reflexes. Instead of letting us take an extra turn on the first turn of combat, we can instead, a number of times equal to our proficiency bonus, take two bonus actions in a single turn. But final thoughts on the Rogue and Thief subclass, Honestly, it doesn't look like the rogue has changed that much at lower levels, but then again, that's not really where they were struggling. Where I saw most struggles for the rogues were at the mid to high levels. So hopefully the new abilities that they get at higher levels will help with this, but we will see as the playtest continues. But with all the class stuff out of the way, it's time to move on to the feats, and boy oh boy, there's a lot to talk about. Right off the bat, I want to note that all of these feats, at least the 4th level ones, are now half feats, which give you an extra stat point whenever you take them. This is important to note because with some of the feats, that's the only change. Those feats being Defensive Duelist, Elemental Adept, Heavily Armored, with Khan now being an ability score option, Sentinel, Warcaster, and Resilient. But before we move on to the other changes in the 4th level feats, I wanted to briefly mention a couple things. For one, we do have one first level feat in this document, and that is Lightly Armored. Just like before, Lightly Armored gives you proficiency in Light Armor, but unlike before, it also gives you proficiency in Medium Armor and Shields. This is huge, and definitely amongst one of the stronger options for a first level feat. But aside from that, the fighting styles are also first level feats, but I'm not going to go over those because they haven't really changed much. I'm also not going to go over the 20th level epic boons, because honestly, none of my campaigns have ever gotten to 20th level, and I just don't see it as being very relevant. But on to the minor changes. Let's start with actor. Actor now no longer gives you advantage on deception checks, but is now an uncontested DC-15 performance check to pass yourself off as that other person. As for the athlete feat, it now adds constitution amongst its ability score increase options and allows you to have advantage on jumping. As for the dual wielder feat, it now gives no AC increase and at least one of your weapons has to be a light weapon. 
This is kind of a minor nerf, but seeing as they are changing the way that the light weapon works, then it doesn't seem that bad. And in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I'll get to that part when we talk about the glossary. Now moving on to the Heavy Armor Master feat, that one has only gotten a buff. Now, instead of reducing the damage you take by 3, it reduces the damage you take by a number equal to your proficiency bonus. Talk about a buff, especially at higher levels. Now, the Inspiring Leader feat still does the same thing it's always done, except now the temporary hit points gained are equal to 2d4 plus your proficiency bonus. As for the Medium Armor Master feat, though, it basically just is the same, but with no line about stealth disadvantage. Now, I have heard some people theorize that Medium Armor will not give you disadvantage on stealth anymore, but we'll see whenever that comes out. Now, moving to Mounted Combatant, which is the same thing that it's always been, except now it gives advantage on checks to handle mounts, which makes total sense if you ask me. Looking at the Ritual Caster feat, though, uh, it basically just ditches the Ritual book and allows you to, once per day, quick cast a Ritual as a Ritual. Basically just using the original casting time instead of adding that extra 10 minutes. Now, as for Polar Master, it has been slightly reworded on the line about taking reactions, and the weapons have been changed to specify any heavy weapon that has the reach property. And the final feat that I have in the minor changes category is the Weapon Training feat, which is replacing Weapon Master, I'm guessing, and it lets you have martial weapon proficiencies. That's it. Clean and simple. And now for the major changes, starting off with Charger. Charger is now completely different. It adds plus 10 speed when dashing, and the attack that you make with the Charger feat is no longer tied to the actual dash. Instead, whenever you move 10 feet in a straight line, you can deal an extra D8 of damage instead of 5, or you can still choose to push, but only if the target is no more than one size larger than you. I just want to note here that it does not specify melee weapons though, so you can use this with ranged weapons, but who am I to tell you how to run your life? But moving on to the crossbow expert feat, it now specifies that whenever you're shooting a crossbow, with an enemy within melee range, you don't have disadvantage. There's also no third line about being able to attack with a light crossbow and then attack with another light weapon because that's all covered in the light weapons rules. Now it says it adds the ability mod to the offhand attack of the crossbow, which if you're taking this feat for the crossbow parts, then it's great. It's nothing but a buff. And if you're worried about the firing and melee thing, don't worry, that line comes up again in other feats now. But on to the grappler feat. The grappler feat still gives you advantage against targets that you've grappled, but now it says that your movement speed is not slowed by grappling someone, and whenever you punch somebody, you can also grapple them with the same move. Now, as for the Keen Mind and Observant feats, I want to kind of talk about those both at the same time because they do very similar things. Keen Mind gives you proficiency or expertise if you already have proficiency in Arcana, History, Investigation, Nature, or Religion and lets you study as a bonus action 
whereas observant doesn't have the lip reading part anymore, but now gives you proficiency or expertise in insight, investigation, or perception, and lets you search as a bonus action. But moving on to the shield master feat, it's no longer a bonus action to hit somebody with your shield, and you can, as an option, knock an enemy prone. However, there's no AC bonus to your deck saves based on your shield's AC. This might come as a bummer to some, but honestly, I think it's worth the trade-off. As for the Skulker feat, it still has the same line about not getting spotted if you miss while you're hiding, but now it gives advantage on all attempts to hide in combat and gives you blind sight of 10 feet. When it comes to the Mage Slayer feat, it's also had a couple of changes. You no longer get opportunity attacks when someone casts a spell right next to you, and you no longer have advantage on saves against spellcasters that are within your reach, but you do gain an autosave ability where you can, once per day, autosave on a spell that is cast against you. Now, it does specify this is against wisdom, intellect, or charisma throws, but that covers a lot of battlefield control spells. But moving on to the spell sniper feat, it still ignores half cover and three quarters cover, but you don't get an extra cantrip, and the spells it can affect have to have a minimum distance of 10 feet, and it increases their distance by 60 feet. Now, depending on what spell we're talking about, that could be a buff or a nerf, but it also does one more thing. You know that line about firing within melee that the crossbow expert feat had? Well, this feat has that, but it works for spells instead of crossbows. But moving on to a few that I saved for last, starting with the Durable feat. Durable now gives you advantage on your death saves and lets you use a bonus action to heal yourself, but it uses your hit die. Now I realize using your hit dice is not ideal, but when you can't find an opportunity to short rest, it's nice to have that little extra backup plan. But moving on to the Great Weapon Master feat, the cleave ability is still there, but now instead of taking a minus 5 to add 10 damage to your weapon attack, you instead just add your proficiency bonus to the damage of one heavy weapon attack per turn. Now, there is no risk associated with this, as you don't have to take a minus 5 on your attack, but I also know that a lot of people would get around this minus 5 with things like advantage. So for your average min-maxer, I'm pretty sure this is a huge nerf. But for a lot of other players, I'm sure this is just fine. Now let's talk Sharpshooter. Sharpshooter still ignores half cover and three quarters cover, but the bonus damage line has been removed entirely, and the whole crossbow expert line about firing in melee has been added. But there's one more feat to talk about, and that is the new Speedster feat. Now I'm pretty sure it's meant to be compared to the mobile feat, as it does a similar thing. The speedster feat, like the mobile feat, adds 10 feet to your speed. However, the increase to speed only applies while not wearing heavy armor, and there's no line about not provoking opportunity attacks. I should, however, mention that there is a line about difficult terrain not causing extra movement speed when you dash through it. But that's all of the feats that I have. Now, Keep in mind that these are all half feats now, so you still always get that sweet, sweet ability score increase. And also keep in mind that these are playtest, and they are subject to change. 
That being said, if you don't like a feat in particular, you should probably playtest it just to see if it's actually good and better than you thought, or if it's actually really bad just like you did think, and that it needs to change back, or change to something else. But that is enough about feats, let's go ahead and move into that rules glossary and figure out what nifty little changes we can find. Starting things off with a relatively simple one, it looks like they've changed the name of Armor Proficiency to Armor Training. This is basically just a simple little way of causing less confusion because while everything else with proficiency in the name adds your proficiency bonus to it, Armor never really did that, so this is kind of just a thing to help out new players. They also define a number of things that you can do in combat. This is normal stuff like attacking, dashing, helping, hiding, searching, but they also added a few like influencing where you can try to influence one of the enemies to do something that is less optimal for them, maybe more optimal for you, and depending on what their general attitude is towards you already, they may or may not do that thing. And then there's the study action which you can take using your arcana, history, investigation, nature, or religion to try to figure out something about whatever you're fighting or something else of interest during the combat. And just as a few extra things, everyone can now ritual cast. You don't need to have a ritual caster type of ability in your class description or anything like that. It's just if you have ritual spells, you can ritual cast them. They also added a new rule for when you roll a 1, um, and that is when you roll a 1, you gain inspiration. It's more like a consolation prize or a maybe I'll do better next time. In regards to spells changes, though, there's actually a new guidance spell in that guidance is now a reaction, but a person can now benefit from guidance only once per day, and then Barkskin has also completely changed, now granting temporary hit points instead of setting your AC at 16. But as for the other stuff, there's a few other things in here, but I think the most important part of this playtest document in the glossary section comes in the form of the new definition of the light weapon property. You see, the light weapon property now states that when you take the attack action on your turn, an attack with a light weapon with one hand, you can make an extra attack as part of the same action. The extra attack must be made with a different light weapon in the other hand, and does not add the ability modifier to the attack's damage. It should also be noted that you could only do this once per turn, but as this used to use your bonus action before, this still seems like a welcome change, and a powerful change. But that's enough playtest talk out of me for one day, let's go ahead and move out to the outro. Well, that's gonna do it for me for this week, guys. I am exhausted. Uh, but hey, don't forget, if you want to ask any questions at all, um, or give any advice for the show, 
make sure to send an email to bardicinquisition at yahoo.com. And also, don't forget, we're on Spotify. We're making our way onto Apple, hopefully soon. And I am also working on getting a Patreon set up, so that if you want to support the show, you can show up there and show your support. Uh, But thank you very much for listening. Once again, I'm your host, Vince, and you guys have a good night. This podcast contains clips from Crunk Knight, Cortosis, Dragon and Toast, Evil March, Heroic Age, Malicious, Our Story Begins, and Unwritten Return, all by Kevin McLeod.